Well, I'm Chris Stanzel with Empower Hour. Today, we are joined by Jackson McMillan and Claudia Tio. Unfortunately, Victoria will not be with us today, but we will be having a very interesting discussion regarding university life, coronavirus, and a lot of the problems associated with online education that uh, myself and I'm sure you two have faced as well. So uh, Jackson, how about we start with you? Um, if you could just give everyone a, a little bit of a background on what you do and um, what you do at University of Florida and, and, and kind of, I guess, the in general, how the virus has been affecting you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So uh, you introduced me already. I'm a senior biology student at UF. I'll be graduating this fall. So fortunately, I was able to dodge out on the failure to graduate in person this spring. <laughs> but this will, it will, with how everything looks right now, it'll likely circle back around in um, fall. So I'll still be out of luck. Um, I am the president and founder of UF's Magic the Gatoring, very own Magic the Gathering Club, the collectible card game for those who don't know the details on that. Um, I'm relatively involved with student government and that I like to keep up with the affairs and that kind of thing. I've been an officer and heavily involved with a number of other student organizations throughout the, uh, throughout the university. Um, basically, I'd, or I'd say beyond classes, uh, being bumped to fall or, or to online for spring, um, I haven't been too thoroughly affected with the exception of the fact that we have no idea how our student organizations are going to be effectively reopening come fall. And we lost, there were a lot of budgets and that kind of thing that just events and plans that just kind of went to the wind when uh, spring was somewhat abruptly cut off. Uh, I know Humans vs. Zombies, a or, uh, legacy organization at UF as of this year, they've been around 10 years. Um, we had our 10-year anniversary game that I was heavily involved in planning for, uh, planned for the week after UF announced their uh, closing. So uh, we had been advertising for two weeks. And so it was just kind of all for naught. So um, that's pretty much where I'm at with the University of Florida. I'm also currently the campaign manager for Richard Rowe for Florida House of Representatives in District 23. He's an industrial progressive and we are uh, Marion County is in the Ocala area, like Central Florida, uh, typically leans very red. So it's once we get past the primaries, it's definitely going to be an interesting race. I'm really happy to be there. Um, my other day jobs, because, you know, campaigns uh, don't always pay the rent, is I'm a professional dungeon master for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and I am a coding instructor for a small business online currently in Tampa. Um, I covered a lot there in just a few minutes. So Yeah, uh, you're, definitely, you're definitely keeping yourself busy. You're putting me to shame right now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's uh, three jobs. It's actually not as much as it sounds, but uh, it keeps me busy, which is the way I like it, especially with everything online. And Claudia, what about you? Oh, okay. Hello. Um, so, hi, I'm Claudia. Um, I'm a grad student in the College of Education. And the virus has impacted my life pretty heavily. Um, you know, and I think you don't really hear from students like me when you talk about how the virus has been, like, affecting students at UF. But, like, you know... I'm having trouble paying my bills, you know, I'm having trouble feeding my dog, you know, it's hard, and um, just, like, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely interesting just to see the divides between how UF is treating, like, its most privileged students when it comes to the virus, and then its least privileged students, um, but just, before I get into that, um, 
I am heavily involved in student government, um, but I'm getting old, so I'm a grad student, so I'm getting out of that scene now. Um, I used to do Model UN. Um, right now, I kind of just do, you know, what it takes to support myself. Again, like, for many students at UF, our worry is, like, where our next meal is coming from. So, and I feel like, you know, right now, like, UF isn't really, like, recognizing that. But hopefully, you know, with conversations like these, we can kind of talk about it and make people more aware of the issue. And hopefully we can kind of come up with a solution, I guess. Absolutely. Well, a lot of great introductions from you guys. I think um, you bring up some good points already in regards to, and I, I really do want to touch on specifically, you talked about how UF is treating some students differently from others. What are some specific examples that you both know about how there's uh, about this discrepancy at UF? Well, just for example, um, it's just like a lot of things that don't get talked about. So um, around 30% of students at UF are food insecure, mostly international students, mostly low-income students, mostly Pell Grant recipients. Um, and the Field and Fork Pantry is, you know, usually a pretty decent resource for those types of students who, you know, don't have food. Right now, the Field and Fork Pantry is just like, you know, you go in and you're usually able to take a week's worth of food for yourself. Now you just can't, like, there's not enough food there. Um, and it's just things like that, that like, you know, when I wasn't food insecure, I never thought about this. So I like, you know, you feel bad because you like, don't care. And now that it's happening to you, you care. Um, so just like in general, like food insecure students have been hit really hard um, by this virus, particularly by like the downsizing of the pantry. And again, they're, tr they're trying their best, but in this case, like their best isn't good enough. Again, like I don't see why we should, why we're talking about like whether or not to have football games when people are like not eating, if that makes sense. So I just feel like, you know, at this point, the university doesn't really have the right priorities in mind, I would say. I'd definitely like to piggyback on that. Um, in that I totally agree. UF is totally disregarding so many aspects of reopening. Uh, they're, maybe they're just following uh, national or statewide leadership uh, in just blatant ignorance and disinformation. But uh, I actually wrote, attempted to write an article about it for the alligator. Maybe we should circle back to that later. And, and the alligator <laughs> is um, alligator is the kind of the local University of Florida newspaper. That's yeah. correct. I absolutely. I actually was supposed to write a guest column for them, and then I sent in the article, and then uh, they were supposed to publish it or just hear let hear me back. I sent several follow up emails. They totally ghosted me. I don't know if there's something there. But I think it's definitely worth looking into, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's possible that the editor is just super busy and doesn't respond to their emails as often as they should. But it's also possible that I wrote a piece that is relatively controversial and had new data that they didn't necessarily want to back reopen, not reopening. So circling to that a little bit, uh, a couple weeks back, uh, my roommate and I were exposed to COVID-19 in Gainesville. Um, we live in an apartment uh, just west of campus, um, like a mile and a half or so. Um, the, and we had a couple of friends over, you know, with masks and that kind of thing. 
it was only like two or three. It, we'd been being very careful in regards to how we operate during the pandemic. We wear mm-hmm. masks in public. Uh, we don't, we didn't, weren't hosting any massive parties or anything. We had a couple friends over for the, um, one of the friends 21st birthdays and they were all from one apartment who we had already kind of linked apartments with. So overall we had, were in contact with less than 15 people, which was through CDC guidelines and that kind of thing. We found out the morning afterwards that one of them had been exposed to COVID-19 within the last week. And so we were basically immediately jumped to thinking, all right, so let's look for the best opportunity for us to get tested. Let's get all the best information possible so we can keep everybody safe. So our first thought is, well, let's go get tested. So we called up or we looked up where we could get tested locally. And there were only um, four or five slots available for testing in the next week um, within our within like city of Gainesville. And our population, for those uh, viewers uh, who do not know, is uh, increased drastically, uh, well over 100% by university being in session. There are tons of people who come in just for the semester, and there have been tons who have left as a result of not being open. Um, If there is not availability in testing now, the question becomes, even with the university supplementing that influx of population, what are they going to do with all those additional people who are going to get exposed? It's not a matter of if we can keep people safe. I mean, Claudia, I assume you filled out UF's questionnaire regarding uh, COVID-19 that went out this week. Well, I never got it, but go on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not extensive at all. It's literally all the basics. Yeah, I, I, got, I got it too. I got it too. And it was, it yeah. was pretty much a joke. It was like yeah, five it's questions. pretty pathetic. So it's not a matter of if people are going to get exposed. It's when, right? So... Mm-hmm. At that point, you need, uh, obviously, even if we shut down the bars and restaurants, people are still going to find houses to flock to. Freshmen already, underage freshmen already do it, right? Like there's, we're not going to be able to stop them inherently. So people are going to get exposed. People are going to be dumb about it. And so they're going to need to get tested as a result. And then on top of that, they're going to need information. They're going to need information on how to take care of themselves and keep themselves, their families, and their roommates, and the other people they get exposed to by going to class safe. So let me tell you what it's like trying to find information about COVID-19 in Gainesville specifically, because I went down this rabbit trail and it is not a fun one. So um, the question we just wanted to ask was how long does the virus have to incubate basically before it will show up on a test to read positive? We had only been exposed the night before, potentially. So we didn't want to make the appointment to go get tested and then not or basically get tested, get the long prong stuck up our nose, and then it come back negative because it had been incubating in our system and had not had enough time to develop, so we tested negative. So we called the National COVID hotline, which didn't seem to know the information. So they pointed us to the CDC website, so we went to the CDC website, which didn't have an answer. So we called the CDC hotline call line, where a very kind individual informed us that they weren't sure of the answer. So we were pointed to our local Florida health authorities. And of course, this is where it gets good because you know Florida government. Um, so we started with the, uh, with the count. We started with the Alachua County Healthline, uh, where I was told the office was closed as if it was fi- after five o'clock, but we could always leave a message. The county nurse would get back to us uh, uh, the next day. Great. We should have an answer by tomorrow and then we can schedule our test. And the mailbox is full. Yeah. Then we called the infamous state health line, which I know a lot of people besides us have had problems with, where uh, my roommate sat on hold for 94 minutes uh, before the call finally timed out. So 
it's not like UF is informing anyone better, right? Any questions beyond the one page on their website is referred to the CDC hot or CDC information. And I've spoken to professors recently in like grocery stores, as well as some like uh, the some the small businesses that I frequent who um, are just as clueless as us. They have no more information than us. And that's something I can confirm. Like, so it's I, just kind of a circular system of uh, talk to that guy, talk to that guy, talk to that guy. If, and then you get stuck on hold or in a full mailbox. Yeah, there's no, in, you would think that answer would be relatively simple, but it's not. And people are going to have less complex questions than that. They're going to need to know how to take care of themselves. And right now there's just not a system set up for that in Alachua. And like I said previously, there's going to be a massive influx of students. And I legitimately think as excited as I am to have my last semester in person officially, I think we're going to get sent home before Thanksgiving break. Hmm. Well, let me ask you both this. As far as your peers are concerned and my peers as well, how many people do you think are going to be taking things more seriously going into this fall than they did probably back in March when this really all got started? Um, because it seems to be kind of a mixed bag. I've seen a lot of people like still continue to laugh the virus off um, and not really take it seriously. Some people are taking it really seriously. Um, and I guess this is all to say like, where do you, where do you think the majority, if we're playing the blame game um, for what has happened already and what will probably likely happen this fall, how much of it is due to UF's bad policy, local government's bad policy or, and or um, students simply not abiding by guidelines or being responsible? Um, yeah. So ultimately, like, Jackson's right. Like freshmen or whoever, people are going to do what they want. Like people are going to break the rules. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have them. Um, I think that both UF and the local, state, and national government authorities have really failed in implementing, you know, strict social distancing measures in place, I think that if we had those measures in place and if we enforced them and we enforced them equally, like we would not have this big of an issue. Um, but the reality is when, you know, you have a mask recommendation, like people who don't want to wear masks don't wear them. And from, at least from my understanding, the mask doesn't protect you. It protects, the mask doesn't protect the wearer. It protects everybody around the wearer. So for instance, if the three of us were in person right now and I wasn't wearing a mask, but you two were, I'm putting you two at risk. I'm not putting myself at risk. So it's just like people, you know, are selfish. I think it's a combination of everything but I wouldn't put the blame on the students I would put the blame on the quote-unquote adults in the room for not instituting proper social distancing measures and we have time to change our minds and we have time to put these measures in place but I'm not optimistic that it'll actually happen no absolutely not Alachua County School Board met this week to talk about the other schools going back and sure it's been pushed back another week but basically the decision was left up in the air as to whether or not like oh let's let's see how it goes and let's see how it goes has been the state's entire policy going into this entire pandemic from the beginning. I mean, I, I, I think you all would agree with me that I said, 
we were a little, we thought they should have, UF was one of the, on the later end to close for college campuses, right? Uh, Claudia, do you remember the week before we closed, like Stanford and Harvard starting to close and we were all just kind of bracing for us to do it too. And then a week went by and we still weren't closed and we're just like, oh, (laughs) like, yeah. So there's, it's, I would agree with Claudia here. Absolutely. That we, it's, I don't even know if it's necessarily UF leadership to a degree. They are a state-funded school. I think it goes all the way up to the top. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the numbers, uh, Ron DeSantis, if we assume he is directly responsible for uh, the deaths that have happened in the state of Florida, this crisis is far more deadly than any hurricane that has blown through Florida in the last decade. And we have treated it like it's nearly nothing. I think that level of ignorance and uh, lack of action is shameful. And while it is partially on the people who refuse to act themselves and take their own personal responsibility, it's the shopping cart problem. Do you push your shopping cart into the stall when you're done grocery shopping? Some people will, some people won't. But ultimately, if the rule is you have to put your shopping cart back into the thing, otherwise there's a consequence, then people are far more likely going to do it. Unfortunately, though, the problems with the, any rules regarding like fines with no masks, I know right now in Alachua County, I'm pretty sure there's a fine for public no masking. And that, only, that kind of thing only hurts the lowest common denominator, the students who, like Claudia said, who are food insecure. Um, a lot of people don't know that Gainesville, Alachua County has one of the highest uh, race to economic disparities in the entire country. Like we're actually in the top 25 areas in the entire country for that level of disparity. It only hurts the lowest common denominator. Um, And I think that we really need to talk about how we are acting there to help those people rather than putting another economic burden on them while the the people who wander around with no masks and get fined for it if if you're wealthy, you're, you're, you no skin off your back. Yeah, exactly. But if, if, if we're food insecure, like Claudia said, or there's a, or or we're hopping from job to job, or we don't have any jobs at all, then that's a big blow to you and your family. And you know what, maybe, maybe that's is still what needs to be done. But I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's going to work with the students, if that makes sense. So I take it you guys are not happy with UF's current reopening policy that has been um, announced for this fall. I don't like it. It's it's not as bad as it could be, but I I mean there are several glaring issues with it. Yeah. And the what what makes it even worse is the fact that like UF administration doesn't really seem to be responding well to like actual student demands they seem more to be like following the state's lead and while yes like uf is a state school um like i think we owe it more to our students to do what's best for our students as opposed to you know what x individual wants um and i think that's i think the big problem with the reopening plan is it makes people feel better but it doesn't actually like it doesn't actually do much to prevent the spread of the virus because sure you can reduce dorm capacity by a little bit people are still crammed together people are still going to have dorm parties like people will adapt um to the new normal you have to have enforcement mechanisms in place to make sure that you know like if you 
I would be fine with UF reopening if they were more organized about it. They just, they just seem like they're reopening just to reopen. I don't know. I don't know what Jackson thinks. Well, I, I, I mostly agree there in that we have to find some way to enforce it that doesn't blatantly hurt the lowest common um, economic fraction. Uh, I, like, I agree with what you said in that people are going to find a way to break the rules anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I think, like we said earlier, the reopening, the reopening um, screening for the students, like you said, is a joke. Um, and there's, you know, my student organizations have been looking at potential options for how we can safely meet in fall. And the reality is, is that the majority of student organizations are realistically less than 50 people. They shut mm -hmm. us down in spring to not let us be able to meet anymore. Uh, and no matter what, even if you had people still in Gainesville, you could not meet on campus. And UF student organizations technically aren't allowed to operate without explicit permission outside of campus. And there is, and so there is right now the rights union specific policy and I believe this applies to campus as well, is you can't have more than 50 people in the same space. You have to collect their phone numbers and you have to um, basically uh, let anyone know if anyone within that group was exposed pretty much. My student organizations already had less than 50 people and they shut us down in those rooms. Then why, are, are we opening right now? Because we're saying, ah, screw it. Is that, is that our goal? Like, is, are we just giving up? Like Claudia said, op reopening just to open? And I'd like to give Claudia a chance to respond to this in that uh, I know you're much more involved in student government than I ever have been, having been a senator and that kind of thing. Um, but that's always been one of my biggest problems with student government since I got here, is that it doesn't matter how, ma how many bajillion dollars budget you have to wield in command. The concern is, is that ultimately all the real big decisions come down to the higher-ups that student government has little to no control over, or at least it appears. What is the purpose of having a multi-million dollar budget if you can't, and elected, uh, formally elected officials and large campaigns that spend thousands of dollars, uh, if you can't actually represent the people who are you're representing? And I know that there have been a number of good things that have come out. For instance, the blue lights on frat row, that was a big movement that I know you were a part of um, organizing and instituting. But there, there's so many other things that, and I know to a degree there is partisanship that kind of stalls everything just like it does in our national level. But if we can't do anything with it, what's the point? And I feel like we should be putting so much more, let's, if student government has the power that they should, they could be putting leverage on the leadership right now to either have a more comprehensive reopening plan or uh, just doing something better for our students for the lowest common denominator who are in need. No, I agree with you. Um, I definitely have the same nihilistic approach to student government now that I'm not a senator anymore. Um, again, like you said, there's a lot of pettiness and that goes into it. There's a lot of partisanship, partisanship that goes into it. I just think that, that pardon my um, crassness, but I just think that the people who are running student government right now don't have the don't have the guts to stand up to administration when it counts. For example, um, they, one, of, one senator wanted to pass, um, wanted to allocate a certain amount of money to provide free Wi-Fi hotspots for students who needed it over the summer for summer courses, since summer courses were not 100% online. Summer B has started and like, the student people in student government refuse to even consider that legislation to even like 
put it on the record because unfortunately like for the people in power like they don't understand the concept of not having reliable internet like not every student has reliable impact internet it's sad you know i'm one of them but i think the problem is that students who need help the most have their voices silenced the most also so like there are people in student government who are trying to help the situation and who are trying to lobby administration to do better but when the vast majority is complacent in it like it really does get nowhere so do you think there is kind of a uh, a tangible wealth disparity inside the makeup of student government that's perhaps like it's just it's a lack of priorities oh absolutely and i think yeah, for uh, sure Claudia will second me on that yeah for oh, yeah. sure there goes my florida blue key application it's gone now this is gonna be <laughs> Aww. well and you know uh, maybe and you maybe you guys could speak a little bit about um sort of the institutional power that some students have just by being the right demographic or having the right, um, you know, parental background or something like that. Because I, as a transfer student um, from a non-collegiate family, I I have definitely personally witnessed a lot of, oh, you know, you want to join student government? Well, you have to either be part of like one of the like fraternities or, you know, sororities, whatever. So, I personally witnessed a lot of this institutional power within um, UF, so I don't know, like, um, kind of your guys' personal experience with that as well. Yeah, I'm well, going to let Claudia open here because okay. I know she has a lot to say in this department. <laughs> I have many, many things to say. Um, well, I'll just let me give you a real-life example. For instance, at the last student senate meeting, the student body president talked to the senate about how he was how his latest project was to bring um, free business card printers um, to the Career Connection Center and to bring a headshot booth to the Career Connection Center. Um, I'm not sure how much the business cards will cost, but I was told that the headshot booth would be anywhere from $10,000 to $20,000. Really? Again, like, you know, getting students ready for the professional world, that's a great thing. Like, I support that wholeheartedly. But when, you know, the food pantry on campus has, like, very little food left, and, like, students don't have access to reliable internet to complete their schoolwork, and, you know, like, students and their parents have lost their jobs. I think it's just like, it's very clear where people's priorities are. Um, And if their priority during a pandemic is free business cards, then I mean, sure, I think our priority should be helping the students who have been devastated by this pandemic because like, a lot of people have either lost their jobs or have had hours cut, you know, and like UF isn't acknowledging the fact that like students are suffering. And I think uh, that just makes me like sad and mad, but Jackson, you say something too. Um, yeah, I, 
I would like to reply to the original question and then kind of apply uh, reply a bit to what you said. Um, there absolutely is a economic disparity within our representation in student government. I am not, I know that it's, it probably sounds a bit bad to say it. Um, and I know there are a number of members who I know of Gator Party, and which is the majority party within student government uh, for those listening and aren't aware, um, who also happen to be members of fraternities who they are, or who they've worked hard to get where they are. They've done a lot for the community and that kind of thing. However, a fair number of people within student government, I believe, and I do not have a ton of verifiable data on hand to back this up, though I'm sure I could find some and forward it to you. There is a large percentage of members of fraternities and sororities who are in student government. Uh, those cost money. Fraternities and sororities are not free. Um, when you have a brother or sister in a fraternity who is running for student government, uh, there have been stories a while back of people literally being deprived food for not voting for one of their member, one of their brothers or sisters. It was it was the chicken parm scandal. Look it up. It happened. The tab published it. I was actually on uh, a volunteer uh, author and uh, researcher for them at the time when it, the story broke. Um, you are paying for that level of companionship, which is useful going into, uh, which is useful going into a political style field and that kind of thing. And that will back you and get you those votes and that representation that is not representative of the whole UF populace, but will get you into student government and will pad your resume. Once you get there uh, with that backing, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm from a uh, upper middle class white family myself. I've I cannot say that I've never used nepotism to my advantage into getting into certain positions or volunteering positions and that kind of thing in like high school and that, or connections help. But when it comes down to it, there's, it's not just a UF problem. It is a overall cultural United States problem. I've talked to my, um, some of my uncles and families, uh, particularly one uh, family member who is, uh, lives in New York He's, uh, he does a lot with financial planning up there. And what I told him for the first time over a family lunch that I was planning on going into uh, local but potentially national level politics, he asked me, or he told me basically, well, you've already screwed up. And I'm like, well, well why? And he's like, you weren't in a fraternity in, univers in university. You should try and get into one in your last semester. And I was like, but I'd basically rush and be done and pay one semester for practically nothing. And he goes, Jackson, you, if you have a fraternity in, uh, on your resume, going into the government, like the national and state government, there are so many people who are already in fraternities that your name automatically goes to the top of the pile or doesn't get tossed out with dozens of others. So it's not just a university problem. The people who, and it comes down to the wealth, right? The wealth bounces you to the top. And then once you're, if there's people who already had there, who had that brotherly identity already at the top, then that's just going to, um, uh, that's just, that cycle is going to continue. And it, it's not just UF. I mean, even at schools where student government isn't quite as nearly as big of a thing. I mean, University of Florida has a massive student government program compared to other schools, right? But like having that, or I guarantee the leadership positions and that kind of thing, they're still, they still have to do with um, fraternity uh, connections and that kind of thing. Being at a fraternity is not a bad thing. The cultural thing that it costs money 
and then a fair bit of money. And then that gives you an errant advantage for potentially the rest of your life in leadership. That's, that's where the issue begins. And now I know people are going to comment and uh, come after me saying that a lot of fraternities give out scholarships and that kind of thing to those who want to join them who aren't privileged enough monetarily to do so. And while that is a good thing, and I acknowledge that they do that to try and beat it, it's kind of, it's, it's just, it's not enough. It's so ingrained that you can't just walk down the street and walk into a fraternity house. There's a check associated with it. And if there's any sort of check, no matter how many, uh, how many scholarships we throw out, 5, 10, 20, I guarantee there's 100 other students who would love to have those level of connections that physically couldn't or physically can't monetarily. I, I probably could have afforded to go into a fraternity if I wanted to. I was a little bit stubborn my freshman year. I believed I didn't have to pay for friends. My parents told me that if I wanted to be at a fraternity, I would pay for it myself, which is fair. They're expensive. And I just kind of looked at my bank account and I looked at the, or I looked at some of the dues and I'm like, ah, I think I'd rather, you know, spend this money on other stuff on or other things I'd like to be doing. And that's when I wasn't paying for my, any of my housing, any of my food, my car insurance, my gas, that kind of thing. That's when I was fully privileged. I had the entire wealth of my parents backing me up with the exception of, you know, certain things like that. So I can't imagine what it must be like for those who are food insecure fully dependent on themselves, like Claudia kept, er, brought up, to attempt to get into that field, how intimidating it must be. How, er, like, it were, I can't imagine having to make the decision, do I, want to, or do I want to have the ability to go see a movie with my friends this month? Or do I want to have the potential thing on my resume that's going to, or that's gonna set me up for the rest of my life? And I feel like while that might not even be a close decision, that's not quite, maybe people don't even have that kind of money. Maybe they're putting it all towards tuition or, and I know fraternities do have like housing and food and that kind of thing on average, but like it, you see where I'm going with it, right? And that yes, it is, yeah. it, it's, it's definitely a, a, a power gap. And I think that's just the best way to describe it is a financial power gap. And you look at the 2020 election, um, you look at the people who are in power and they can afford to run their own campaigns. And who needs the backing of a party if you can spend several million dollars on YouTube ads, right? Like right. that's where all the money is in campaigning these days. I mean, the Trump, uh, the Trump campaign uh, cut a massive financial deal with YouTube to do multiple YouTube takeovers where all you see all day is Trump 2020 ads uh, throughout the year. I, I was surprised to see how much percentage of their budget goes into that tackling. And you look at other campaigns, like, I don't know why the name is escaping me, but the Democratic primary, uh, very wealthy man from, I believe, New York. Mike Bloomberg? Yeah, Bloomberg. Thank you. I don't know why I was blinking. Um, he ran his campaign entirely out of pocket, right? Like, well, so yeah, I think he spent, spent somewhere around a billion dollars, if I'm not mistaken. It, it, it's not just U.S. It's a culture thing. And U.S. happens to feed into it as a state school. So that's where I'll leave that. Uh, thanks for hearing me get up on my little uh, soapbox and... Uh, yell at the establishment as a white boy so <laughs> well no yeah no jackson is 100 percent right but it's not even a money issue it's what you look like what family you come from how you present yourself so when you look at the highest positions of power within uf student government you or like even just like in general, like positions of power within the university that students aspire to, 
um, you ask yourself, well, you know, this individual got into this position because his dad was president of his fraternity back in the 1990s. And then this person got into this position because his brother was president of Florida Blue Key two years ago. And it's just like this patronage nepotism system that exists. And it's super weird. Um, and I mean, yeah, like life is not fair. And like, but I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a weird tangent. But it's just like, when the most privileged people control the levers of power, we shouldn't be surprised that they're out of touch and think that printing free business cards is more important than giving Wi-Fi to students so they can do their homework. Or simply, yeah, or simply putting pressure on the people who matter at the top, who they do have access to, to mm-hmm. re or to figure out what the details of this reopening plan is. I mean, how many months did we wait for that stupid reopening plan for it to be like a page and a half on their website that says effectively nothing? Right? Like there's well and, and kind of touching on the, um, the reopening plan and everything you guys have been saying, I think you make a lot of good points about how how this is really a a micro version of a much larger problem in our car- culture. And um, well, not to go on my own tangent, but yeah, I, I think a lot of these or you know fraternities and sororities, whether they mean to or not, are um, breeding grounds for um, you know future leaders. Um, clicks uh, within, you know, the business world, the political world. And the people who go in, a lot of people that go into them are, like you said, Jackson, are going in with the intention of getting, checking off that box in the resume so they know they're going to have a much easier time getting into, you know, kind of the, you know, very closed off positions of powers they want to get into. But um, I also want to ask you guys as well, uh, with the reopening plan, effectively, I I think I saw somewhere that, pretty much about 90% of classes will be online. So more or less, UF is effectively operating as a, as a if not a fully online school, a for the most part online school. Um, now, two things I'm, I think might be interesting relevant to this conversation is first, um, that, that would not only reduce the power and influences of um, sororities and fraternities, but also of a lot of other student organizations as well um, because a lot of those things rely on uh, gatherings, groups, activities, uh, close quarters, parties, that sort of thing, things that are all being shunned right now. Um, But of course it also helps um, organizations such as, well, Jackson, I know it's hurt several organizations you're part of uh, at the moment as well. So do you think, in your guys' opinion, we, we the best course of action would be to go completely online, forget any of this half-open, half-closed business, and just go all into the online scene. Even bearing in mind that it, it will, if this is something that continues for a year or two years, could severely damage the rich community that UF has, both for positive and for negative. Well, my opinion on it is, is that I do agree with that. UF should just go ahead and go completely online, but still maintain support services for students. So still maintain the food pantry, still maintain legal services on campus, still operate as a university, but just like the actual necessities. 
if that yeah. makes sense. To respond to your first point that, um, you know, gatherings are going, like limiting gatherings is going to limit, you know, the presence <laughs> of these groups um, in like power politics. I mean, yeah, I would agree with that, except, you know, like the rules don't really apply to certain groups like mm -hmm. frats, fraternities and sororities, like rush will still happen. Parties will still happen whether or not they're happening on paper like that. I'm not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but the thing is, you know, right now what's ha what you're saying is the, it, we're basically reopening so that rich kids can go and party and have fun. Like, yeah. I think yeah. that's why. I feel like that might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, they're, they are letting other organizations meet as well. Uh, Magic the Gatoring, as everyone oh, yeah, currently no, stands, saying, will, be, er, will be reopening come okay. fall. Yeah, like yeah. there's, there's a, I, think it's, I think it's more along the lines of the university is, uh, the events are going to happen. And uh, they're attempting to make their, they're probably not doing their best to make them as safe as possible. Uh, Claudia, is it, uh, is it along the lines of what you were trying to say is that basically like the, the reopening is partially a result of those Florida government kind of lineages kind of coming to a head and gaining those opportunities again like they always would? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's more like, why are we reopening if cases are going up, if students are struggling? Like, there's no reason why we should reopen. It's. You know, I mean, I understand that the university is like in, you know, maybe in a tough financial position, but, you know, you, that's what you have a million dollar endowment for, for, you know, like, I just feel like this is a crisis. This is an emergency. And the students who need help the most are pretty much getting ignored. So um, just to kind of cut in there real fast. Um, so. Uh, one talking point I've heard a lot in talking about UF going completely online and pretty much the state we've already been in since, like I said, a lot of UF is already online, is that tuition prices should be severely curtailed in response since we're losing a lot of the services we have and the, you know, the in-person experience and everything that comes along with it, um, which on paper might sound like a good argument, but uh, I feel that if that were to, if UF were to go completely online, people would rightfully get reduced tuitions. But if we got reduced tuitions, that we would probably see a lot of programs um, go away, a lot of services that students are relying on at UF probably be cut. Well, it's a financial decision that the university and has to make. So for instance, like the university technically did cut tuition over the summer. The effective change was like, I think like, a few cents or like a dollar per credit hour but technically tuition was lowered but what they did was they lowered the transportation fee the activity and service fee the health fee all these fees and then tacked on a mysterious $20 per credit hour distance learning fee that we're not sure where that money goes so I mean again like if the if the university wanted to cut fees to make tuition more affordable, then 
it would do that, but it's cutting fees by a little bit to cut services and then, you know, creating a mysterious distance learning fee that is, where's the money going from? Like, Jackson, maybe you know, but I just, like, I, have no I don't clue. really see the merits <laughs> of that argument. I will say, like I said earlier, that uh, the, the teachers are just as blind as us. Um, there, a lot of them are prepping, like, online and in-person curriculums, uh, basically knowing that they're going to have to bounce between them. Yeah, there's, uh, there, it's definitely a, a, a real issue of just kind of circling back to my initial statement, which is just lack of information. Uh, where's that money going? Uh, what's our plan here? Why is student government prioritizing business cards over the food pantry or just pressuring uh, major, the major leaders at all? And it kind of seems like uh, the unfortunate answer to a lot of this is a lack of vision and a lack of, uh, I guess, as you kind of discussed, there's a centralized bastion of power both within the university and within state government and within federal government. And it's all just kind of a microcosm of a much larger problem. And that is when you have a nepotistic system, uh, you breed people with that have uh, that, 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 that with nepotistic nepotistic problems, which is essentially, okay, well, how do I get mine out of this situation? I got to protect my interests or the interests of, uh, of my group before we can worry about everybody else. Uh, because it all is kind of a, a click situation uh, that, uh, and like I said, this based upon conversations that I've had um, with other students and faculty, it seems a lot of it is, you know, the university is getting pressure from the state and um, certain families are pressuring the university to do certain things that there are, there are professors pressuring the university to, to completely shut down. The state wants to keep it open. And so it's like UF is just like, it's, it's directionless in leadership because it's um, completely susceptible to such a variety of different interests, uh, both government and student and faculty, and all those are kind of differing right now. So the university is, by definition, um, and I, I don't even know if it's fixable, it's just completely aimless because it's, 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 it has to answer to so many different bodies and so many different groups that it's like there's no way the university can effectively um, unless it was like a private institution, it, it's, it, it's, it's very susceptible to not having uh, a very concise plan on anything. And I think that kind of partially explains why we've been seeing such like directionalist uh, information coming out and a lack of information. There's definitely an argument to be made somewhere, and I feel like it's worth bringing up, that bringing all the students back to Gainesville does help a ton of small businesses. And I think as progressives, we do have to some degree prioritize uh, small businesses over massive businesses. And in reality, what it comes down to is we've already had, we've already seen several small businesses close in Gainesville that are beloved to um, uh, UF students and that kind of thing. And I guarantee we will see more and more if they only have those reserves for such a period of time, right? So those businesses are going to close if the students come back. Now, the question kind of circles back is, well, is it worth it? Is Are the lives that potentially will be lost? Sacrifice for the economy. Just sacrifices exactly. for the economy. Yeah, but I mean, those are, those are families. Those are the people standing behind those doors who have everything they owed invested in those business, small businesses in the area. And at that point, 
if we're it's i realize it's very much like the idea of like investing in the the memes of DeSantis sacrificing children for the economy right like but simultaneously <laughs> those those stores that um those local places that will close who do you think they're owned by they're owned by those who are um, suffering from the economic disparity that I brought up in Alachua County before. And those people have kids too. And there's, it's definitely, uh, I can see, I can very much see the perspective of let's just, let's just reopen everything. It'll be much better for the community. Not necessarily the businesses, but yes, the business, the community as a whole. And those who are the, uh, Gainesville grew around you, right? So the entire area depends on the university and the money and the business it brings. That community is already suffering and it will continue to fall apart with if we do go, or if everybody is comfy to stay online and in or where they live. Um, I know that a lot of people I know directly and I, while the people who I know don't represent a hundred percent as an accurate proportion of the university, I would say about one in one in five to one in six people I know who um, were uh, who I was who were here last semester aren't coming back this semester. Um, I think that it's worth noting that the the parents who are sending their high school babies off to college for the first time are probably going to be far more likely to keep their kids at home for two reasons: a, just mama bear protectiveness, right, and b, financials. They're about to get that huge burden of sending a kid out of the nest. And um, unless they need to, or needs that kid to become financially independent, it's cheaper to keep that kid in, right? No, no second rent payment, one grocery bill, that kind of thing. So there's, there, it's definitely not a totally one-sided issue. And I wanted to make sure that was represented because I, I mean, selfishly, I really want to reopen, right? Like in that, it's my last semester here at UF. I want to see it through as the the founder of the club that I run, right? Like there's uh, there's some a couple bills that I want to run through student government, uh, hopefully all the way to the top that I would like to do before I graduate that I've always kind of wanted to do, you know? Like there's there's a lot of reasons where I can see why people like myself may want to reopen, but we what I think it comes down to is reopen, not reopening is no longer an option. The university has already declared that the gears are already rolling. It's bureaucracy, right? The ability to halt that and re-roll it is nigh impossible. At this point, we need to focus on two things, student safety and information. We need to make sure all the information is accessible and we need to make sure we are ready with those ICU beds for when the students start getting sick. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, I actually have a few of the numbers up in front of me in that uh, there are, um, as of July 2nd, uh, Shands ICU, which is south of the university, literally pretty much on campus, uh, they have 300 beds um, for, or for total. That's basically their max out number. Uh, only Right now, only five COVID patients occupied. But if we look at Tampa, Orlando, Miami, places with a much higher population that we're going to get much closer to with the students flowing in, those beds are going to fill up really fast. So I think we just need to be absolute, have all the infrastructure in place at this point for students to have all the information they need as accessible on hand and B, be ready on the medical side. You look at the numbers on the UF website of how many teachers and students are coming back pets positive. Sure, it's a lesser percentage than the rest of the state, but it's, it's going to be an influx and it's going to happen. And we just need to be ready at this point. I feel like debating whether or not it's ethical to, to reopen is almost a moot point right now. It's happening. We can't stop it. Um, no matter the reasons behind it, 
the 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 economic disparities and the issues that may have caused it. Uh, at this point, we need to focus on the people. So I actually didn't know that there was a massive food disparity in the, or food issue with the food bank right now, Claudia. I'm really grateful you brought that up because I think there's definitely, um, and maybe we could collaborate on something to kind of bring that to student government's attention and see what we can do about it. Because I feel like that's a major issue for students right now. That's very easily solvable. You know, we talk, we just talked about earlier, why don't the students have the balls uh, in the student government to put pressure on the top leadership? I gear, I, I've bought food for student organizations with student org money. I know how easy it is to tick those boxes. We've got millions of dollars. Let's fill that pantry. My Magic the Gathering Club just got $3,000 for our fall semester. $3,000 to buy pieces of uh, cardboard that, sure, are they going to bring a lot of joy to people? Absolutely. Are they going to give freshmen who don't have anywhere to go, uh, communities to find, a, pla a place to feel safe and have fun and meet people? Absolutely. But when it comes down to it, if people are in food insecure, I'd... I'd give up that money as the president in a heartbeat to fill that food pantry. And I feel like a lot of student senators and students in general would feel that way. So if we can allocate that level of money to our student organizations who may be, uh, may be threatening students in general by meeting in person, let's, let's definitely start, with, uh, start by figuring out something where we can help students directly. So um, like I said, I'm really grateful you brought that up, Claudia. And uh, that's something I didn't know about. And I think a lot of people would be interested to hear. There's... Because I, I almost wonder, you should consider contacting some of the local newspapers because we might be able to put something together as of like fundraising and or just doing, if student government is in, ignorant and neglectful, uh, going to the community and seeing if they had anything to offer for filling the bank. All right, that sounds good. I do disagree. I do disagree that. I do think we it's not too late to not reopen, but I won't argue with you on that. Oh, gosh. Like, I just, we just could not reopen like i don't know the like, i do understand that small businesses will suffer i get it but like i don't well, think alachua county or gainesville is prepared for well, i agree like i said earlier <laughs> yeah, yeah they're not ready I just, but we, yeah but i do think that they're gonna reopen either so we need to prepare for that like you have the prag pragmatic approach I'm just too much of an idealist. <laughs> wow. Um, so kind of uh, as we kind of wind down here, just to shift gears slightly. So both of you have been involved, um, obviously, in a lot of extracurricular stuff here at the University of Florida. You guys are active voices in the community. What would you guys recommend on a personal level uh, to students, uh, I guess especially students who are uh, financially insecure or freshmen or just have – um, just an unstable situation, rather it be emotionally, mentally, physically, um, on how to kind of cope this semester. Um, because a big part of college is um, interaction, social interaction. We're, uh, we're, social, we're social primates, so we do rely on those social aspects um, and to kind of get us by and, if, you know, seeing our professors, seeing our fellow classmates and, and all of that. And I think I think a lot of people's response to that will be just to go to crowded house parties and probably catch COVID um, right. in the process. So I kind of want to get you kind of as a closing statement, kind of get your guys' uh, personal observation and advice on, on kind of how to deal with, with that need for interaction, for community, for, um, you know, how we've enjoyed at university, university for years. So here's all I would say. 
is that uh, I'm an I'm a true extrovert. I survive on being around people. Uh, mentally, the pandemic hasn't been the easiest for me as a result. I understand that there's a lot of people who think the same way I do and who will need that level of social connection. So all I can recommend is that basically, a don't don't go to the house parties. Don't do what he said. That's that's uh, that's not safe at all. But what I would say is that find your people, find that one student organization who you really like hanging out with and go to their meetings every week, once a week and wear your mask. Or alternatively, if you don't have that, but you do have friends who you like um, hanging out with, find that group of like 10, 12, less than 15 people. If you wanna hang out inside without masks, according to CDC recommendations, regardless of whether or not you believe the CDC is uh, on our side or whatever, um, find that group. If you're a friend group, then just commit to each other that you're not going to be going out to bars, to restaurants, to house parties if they're open, and commit to or make that or make that argument to your friends, and then just see each other. And according to recommendations, you are allowed to do that. Wear a mask in public and find your people, and just don't be dumb. Like that—that's what—that's where that would be my closing statement: is find your people. Um, I am also a super extrovert, so I would also agree with Jackson that finding your people, finding your support system, that's really important. But if you can't, like I know it's hard for some people to make friends, um, the, like UF does have resources available. Gainesville does have resources available. You just have to be willing to work and willing to find them. Um, like the CWC, the Dean of Students Office, all these places are there to help students without these places, I wouldn't know what the field and fork pantry was. So I, my piece of advice to new people coming in would be one, establish a support system and two, learn about the resources around you and use them and don't feel guilty about using them. That's what they're there for to help people in hard times. I think those are some excellent points. Um, obviously, this isn't going to be, no matter which way you spin the dice uh, or try to mitigate it, it's definitely not going to be what it was and um, will not be as fun as it was. Um, and there will always be a lacking, at least from my perspective, a lackingness of, of social interaction. Um, but yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot we can do to mitigate that and, and to kind of fill the gaps uh, that we need in our social life, our organized social life and 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 the alike. So I really want to thank you two for coming on. I think this has been a very productive and important conversation because I think we've heard a lot from, you know, kind of the big wigs at university um, and news agencies and things like that. But I don't think, I don't think there's been a good, um, I don't think there's been a lot of students that have had the platform or like the ability to have a good conversation about um, universities, the university's policies and coronavirus and this sort of thing. So I really want to thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much for giving us that platform. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Okay, uh, so that's a wrap. So we're going to go ahead and close the show out. I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, for the audience at home, I'm Chris Stanzel with Empower Hour. I do hope that you guys stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. Thoughts, questions, concerns, you want to tell us how much you like the show, you know where to go. Email us at host at empowerourradio.com.